ideas, inspiration, innovation. This is The Game Changer. And now here's your host, Chickie Fitzgerald. Good afternoon, this is Chickie Fitzgerald, and today's edition of The Game Changer is going to focus on managing people. And this isn't a topic that we talk about very much, but I'm really excited about this because this particular book that we are talking about is Managing to Make a Difference, How to Engage, Retain, and Develop Talent for Maximum Performance. And our guest today is Larry Sternberg. Larry, welcome. Thank you very much. It's great to be here. Larry, before we dive into the book, I would love to hear a little bit about you. I know that there uh, was a little snippet in the front of the book that talked about your time at the Ritz-Carlton Hotel. And uh, I don't know if you want to start there or go back a little bit further, but uh, tell us a little bit about you. Well, uh, my pleasure. I'll I'll start with my uh, stint at Ritz-Carlton. I spent a good part of my adult life in the luxury hotel business, and uh, uh, as part of that journey, I became a general manager for the Ritz-Carlton Hotel Company, and I, I had a very unusual mission uh, in that particular hotel. Uh, my mission was to explore a business model called self-directed work teams to see whether we could run a Ritz-Carlton hotel through this model of self-directed work teams. And, and so that was question number one. And question number two uh, was, was there any business advantage in doing that? So can you do it? And, uh, and is there any, any reason you should want to do it? So I, I did that with Ritz-Carlton. I did uh, several other things. And I also, uh, for the last 18 years, I've worked with an international human resources consulting firm. The name of the firm is Talent Plus. And I've I've done a variety of roles in Talent Plus, including I am the president emeritus of Talent Plus, and now I am in a position of Talent Plus fellow, and I'm focusing on thought leadership, and the the book you mentioned at the beginning is just part of that. Well, that is a great story, and I've spent my entire adult life in the travel industry, so uh, it, it is uh, always great to talk to somebody who, who comes from, from the same roots. Uh, I, I've been on the technology side of the business of helping uh, companies such as Ritz-Carlton and others uh, actually marry their product with the people who are buying it, so uh, the distribution side of the business. Terrific. So let's dive right into the book. You you have there's so much meat in this book, and and in the short thirty minutes that we have, I'm uh, we're only going to get to scratch the surface. But that's a good thing because then people uh, can go and actually purchase the book. And and I suggest that they read this one, pen in hand, to write notes in the margin, and uh, really to use it as a checklist of of looking at how they're managing. So you dive right into the book of talking about cultivating positive relationships. Tell us a little bit about that, because it, it seems a bit of a no-brainer that we would want to do that, but uh, apparently it's not, not human nature uh, to, to really work on this in the way that you talk about in the book. Well, yeah, it, it seems to some people like a no-brainer, but many people are taught that when you get into a management position, 
you shouldn't get very close to your people. You shouldn't cultivate close relationships with them for a variety of specious reasons, by the way. But people mm-hmm. are, are taught this. So uh, they, they spent a lot of years uh, learning and knowing that you ought not to cultivate close, positive relationships with your people. They, they want positive, but they don't necessarily want close. And in the right. book, my co-author and I, Dr. Kim Turnage, is my co-author. And, and uh, there's, a, there's a mountain of evidence that suggests that the very best managers and leaders do, in fact, very consciously cultivate close relationships with their people. And so we tell some stories in there, and, and we have some tools and techniques that managers can use. And what I'm hoping is that there are plenty of listeners here in management, uh, your listeners, and what I'm hoping is that many of them have, have, in their heart of hearts, have believed that, you know, things run better when I cultivate close relationships right. with, my, with my people, but they keep hearing that they shouldn't do it. And one of the things I want to do in this broadcast is give them permission Go ahead and do that. Things are actually better. Don't listen to the advice that you need to maintain some sort of distance between you and your people. Right, right. Now, one of the the chapters that caught me a little bit unaware is you've got, first of all, you talk about accepting people like they are, but then the very next chapter is about tolerating undesirable behaviors. And and I'm really curious to hear about your perspective on that. Yes, thank you very much. And I'm going to start by telling you, if I had that title to do over, I would introduce (laughs) the word, I would introduce the word some. What we really meant by that title, Kim Turnage and I, is tolerate some undesirable behaviors. Uh, and, and you're not the first person to have sort of honed in on that on that title. We don't mean, <laughs> right. we don't mean that you should tolerate all undesirable behaviors. So that's why it follows the chapter on accepting people as they are. Because when you accept people as they are, which, by the way, is the most important message in the entire book, is quit trying to change people. And when you accept people as they are, you're accepting them with all of their flaws as well as Mm -hmm. their strengths and their desirable traits, which means that you're going to therefore have to tolerate some behaviors that you might find annoying, that might be undesirable, but that really aren't central to the way that person adds value to your organization and, and creates value for your constituents, your customers, and the other people who you consider to be your constituents. So uh, too often in management, people start focusing on undesirable behaviors that might be annoying. Uh, You know, I tell a story in the book about the hotel general manager who who wanted my help with his uh, director of sales and marketing. And I said, well, tell me, what, what are you talking about? He said, well, she's late to meetings all the time, and this is totally against our established principles that we consider it to be rude uh, to the other people in the meeting if you're late to the meeting. And she's, she's just constantly late to meetings. And I said, well, tell me how is she doing on her revenue goals? He said, oh, she's blowing them away. 
we're we're exceeding our <laughs> revenue goals for the year. I said, really? And 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 how is she as as a mentor to her people, as a manager? And he said, oh, she's terrific. She she teaches people. She mentors them. They get promoted out into other hotels in the chain. People people are standing in line to work for this woman. I said, what's your problem? <laughs> he said, she's late to meetings. I, and and. I said, what do you want? A director of sales and marketing who blows away the revenue goals and and who's a great man? Or do you want somebody who's on time to meetings? And here's what he said. He said, I want it all. And I said, guess what? With real human beings in the real world, you don't get it all. And if you spend too much of your time hammering this individual about being on time to meetings, you're going to make it harder for her to get in the right frame of mind to be engaged in producing that revenue and in mentoring right, her right. people. So when I'm talking about tolerating some undesirable behaviors, I'm talking about being sophisticated and being smart about whether or not you really want to focus your time with a, with a person on, on some of these behaviors. And the more value a person adds, and you see this all over the place. The more value right. a person adds, the more elbow room they have to be eccentric. <laughs> exactly. Uh, and, and so smart managers don't start hammering people on the wrong things. And I just see too many people making that mistake. And I made that mistake early in my career. Uh, I was a human resources director in a very large 800-room hotel, and we had a fine dining restaurant, and uh, the manager of that restaurant happened to be named Muhammad, and he was a terrific manager in maitre d', and that restaurant really hummed. It was full, it made money, it contributed to the overall reputation of the hotel, and people booked business there simply because they knew they could eat in the dining room. And he was terrible at his human resources paperwork. I mean terrible. And I was the director of human resources. And my people were complaining to me. You know, he would do things like hire a new waiter and just not tell anybody. Uh, So when when the waiter expected a paycheck, it wasn't there because we didn't know the waiter had come on board. And And we, of course, my people and I wanted the waiter to have his paycheck. And they complained to me and complained about, you know, how this was hurting the hotel. And, and I, I didn't know what I'm trying to teach here in this, in this, uh, in this uh, broadcast. And, and I hammered the general manager to fire this guy. And unfortunately for everyone involved, I was successful. He fired the guy. And the business in that restaurant took a nosedive. Oh, no. Yes. And, man, did I learn something the hard way. And right. if I had that to do over, I'd say to my people, you understand, he's generating a lot of revenue. He's helping the reputation. I understand he has these undesirable behaviors. I understand he has these deficiencies. But we're going to support him. How are we going right. to do that? We're going to do the paperwork for him. That's what right. I would say today. That's exactly. what teamwork is. Is we recognize, okay, he's not good at this. And we are. So, and back then, you know, uh, I, I just didn't know any better. And we had the attitude, that's not our job. And, and uh, uh, it really cost everybody in the hotel because I, I uh, hadn't learned the right things. Right, right. Now, the next section of the book focuses on accelerating people's growth. 
And and I think the most provocative chapter within this uh, perhaps is a great follow-on discussion to what we just talked about, which is kicking butt in the right way. Yes, and and frankly, uh, Kim Turnage and I had a debate about whether to even include this chapter uh, in in the book because kicking butt is not something that we we advocate as the default. Uh, management style of anyone, uh, and and we had a debate, and we decided ultimately that from time to time, good managers, good coaches, good leaders do have to kick some butt. I mean, it, it that's the real world, and and so we decided that in the real world, if people have to do this from time to time, let's see if we can help them do it in in the best possible way. And so there there are times when. Uh, a manager needs to create a sense of urgency, needs to motivate people, uh, needs to create some consequences for people who maybe aren't trying so hard and, and it, if things didn't go well, they didn't win, they, they let their team down, whatever. There are appropriate times when, when butt-kicking is the right technique, it's, it's the right tool. However, what we want to make sure we help people understand is what can you really expect to accomplish by kicking butt and what will it not accomplish? So the things you can accomplish are the things I just mentioned, motivation, sense of urgency, maybe even uh, some negative consequences for letting people down, et cetera. But what you can't do is if somebody isn't good at something, kicking their butt isn't going to make them better at it. Right. And, and so – you know, the people people have aces and spaces. We all have them. And so it's like Muhammad, if, uh, the, the maitre d' I mentioned. If he wasn't good at paperwork, kicking his butt for not being good at paperwork doesn't make him better at paperwork. And, and it might make him more interested in getting the paperwork done, but it's not going to make him any better at it, and he's going to keep backsliding. So instead of uh, in that situation – kicking butt about it or with that director of sales and marketing, instead of kicking her butt for being late, uh, sometimes you've got to tolerate it. You, you know, so kicking butt will accomplish certain things, but it won't give people capabilities that they don't have today. Right, right. Well, it reminds me a little bit of, uh, of parenting as well. <laughs> In fact, a lot yes. of this book reminds me about parenting. <laughs> I will tell you something. I, I uh, attended several lectures from uh, Walt Disney executives over the years, and one of them said that Walt Disney learned a lot of his management techniques by interviewing mothers. He had a lot of children in his movies, and these right. mothers often came, came to the movie set with several children, and he, he listened to how they managed their children. And and you're exactly correct. There are numerous parallels between parenting and and managing. Numerous parallels. Right, right. So as you move on through the book, you begin to talk about how to maximize engagement and motivation. And I know that this has been such a problem in the workplace, particularly as younger people come into the workplace. They've got a, a, sometimes some different uh, ways of doing things or, or uh, perhaps a different set of standards uh, for what is enough in a particular job. And again, getting back to the parenting thing, I constantly go over this with my children. And I would say, you know, if you were working 
working at Target, would you get promoted? Would you get a raise? Uh, or would you get fired for what you just did and, and the level of, of, you know, completion or, or uh, the level of quality in what you did? So this whole issue of engagement and motivation, you know, I think is really, really key to being a great manager. I agree. What would you like to ask me about it? Well, um, you know, uh, again, you, you've got so many good points, and I, I'm, I'm, I'm just going to read through a couple of the, the chapter uh, titles and let, let you gravitate to the one that, that uh, resonates the most with you. Uh, emphasizing the why. Meet people's needs. Don't sit on good people. Resist well, let the me, temptation. Okay. okay, you've got me. You've got me. Let, let's, talk about, <laughs> let's talk about meeting people's needs. Uh, and you mentioned the people, uh, maybe young people of different ages. This is the issue of, of millennials and how do we deal with millennials and so forth. My, my first, my, my most important remark on that is let's not paint any group of people with the same brush. You know, it, all these insights about millennials versus, say, I'm a baby boomer, so just millennials versus baby boomers, all these right. insights – are are worthwhile at the sociological level. But when you're a manager, you have a living, breathing, unique human being sitting in front of you. And I encourage all managers, don't assume that what you have read about that person's generation is true of that person. You know, mm-hmm. it's it's those those sites are those insights might be very good generalities, but but let, you know that'd be the equivalent of saying uh, so. Everybody from Europe is this way, right? Or or this ethnic group, they're this way. Well, you know that even if that insight about how that ethnic group happens to be, even if that insight is in fact uh, appropriate uh, as a generality the person sitting in front of you might not actually fit that description. Uh, and so, so the most important thing about meeting people's needs is you've got to find out what they are person by person. Don't assume that the millennial wants a trophy just for showing up. Maybe in general they do, but maybe not this person who's sitting in front of you. I work with a lot of millennials here at Town Plus, and let me tell you, uh, not one of these people fits the the standard prejudices about mm-hmm. millennials uh so so the most important thing no matter what age a person is no matter what their ethnic group is no matter what their gender is don't don't paint the person with with a brush just because they're in that group find out what that person's aspirations are what their goals are what their needs are what their likes are what their dislikes are and and do that person by person that way you can forget about what groups they happen to fall into and you can meet the each person's unique needs you you're from the travel industry uh and and so you know that every single guest has a unique set of needs. Yes. And, and, and what you want to do is make sure you, you find out what those needs are. And, you know, if you've got a guest who doesn't want salt in their food, uh, you, you, you find that out. And then you make sure they don't have salt in their food. It doesn't matter whether they're a millennial or a baby boomer. And so it's the mm-hmm. same thing internally. You do the same thing. You want to, it's person by person. This is a more challenging way to manage people because it takes more effort 
to find yes. out person by person what their needs are. But and that's that you see how that synergizes with getting close to your people because the more you know about somebody for the right reasons which are to help that person, to benefit person, that person. That's the right reasons. The more you know about that person, the easier it is to make them engaged. So if somebody, if somebody likes work that's high pressure and exciting, you try to find uh, places or roles for them where they get a lot of high pressure, exciting work, where things change constantly. If some other person uh, likes to plan their work and so forth, you, 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 they, they will be engaged if they get to do that. I, I once was – I happened to be at, at a client's uh, location in a, in a hotel, and they asked me to, uh, to get involved with an employee who should have been performing well, had all the potential in the world to perform with excellence but wasn't doing it, and I, I just – sat down and listened to him. I said, come on, we know you can do a lot better than this. What's going on? He said, I'm a night person, and they've got me opening this apartment at 5.30 in the morning, and I'm not even a human being at 5.30 in the morning. He was a night person. So my big Mm -hmm. solution was give him a night shift. You know, and as soon as they did that, he became an excellent employee. Uh, So that's what I'm talking about when I'm talking about meeting people's needs. Uh, You you, you ask yourself a couple of questions. You you find out what somebody's unique need. And when I say needs, I include goals and aspirations and likes and dislikes. I include all that. You find out what somebody's needs are and you ask yourself two questions. Can I meet those needs? And do I want to meet those needs? Just because somebody has certain needs, you're running a business. You don't have to want to meet that person's needs. But the more value they're adding, the more effort you should put into it to make sure you're meeting their needs. And so as, so that's the, on engagement. If A, if employees have really good relationships, not only with their supervisor, but also with the people with whom they work, and the manager can foster and cultivate those relationships if they have good relationships and and you're probably aware that uh gallup and others all their studies come out saying that uh, the main reason employees become disengaged is because of their manager because yes. of their direct supervisor well then if if the supervisor is developing a close positive relationship with people is getting to know what their needs are and is really aggressively trying to make sure they get their needs met when they perform well, I assure you, if you do those, that nothing is, there's no one silver bullet to engagement. If there was, we would know it by now and engagement right. wouldn't be an issue. So there isn't one silver bullet, but believe me, this is a cornerstone of keeping people engaged. Right, right. And then, of course, you move on to talk about the relationship of, of building extraordinary teams and and then also uh shaping culture which uh you know as you're putting together a team you know thinking not only of each one's contribution but how they're going to get along and how they're going to fit into the culture i mean it's something i'm facing right now in putting together my leadership team for my current uh current engagement that i'm working on and and it's challenging because I see things in each one of the individuals that I really want uh, as a part of the team. And then, you know, then I get a little concerned of how they're all going to get together. 
Uh, and this kind of leads into your next uh, section of the book, which talks about embracing change. Uh, because when you've put together a, a team that, that uh, works well together and you've done an off-site session to build that team-building sense uh, between them, then when you bring in another individual, all of a sudden they have to face that change. So I know I've thrown a lot at you, but uh, I just would love your, your commentary uh, on, on all of this. You've put together a great team. You've established a culture, and now you have to have some level of change, whether it's market change or, or new people on the team. Well, uh, first of all, part of the culture, as you select people on your team, as you say, you have an appreciation for their individual uh, strengths and the contributions they can each make, and and you want them to meld as a team. And so I recommend that part of the culture is is consciously saying, we're going to accept each other with our flaws, and we're going to spend more time focusing on remembering why this person is on the team, how they add value to the team, how they help us accomplish our mission, and we're going to spend, yeah, and we're just going to accept the fact that from time to time, you know, they're going to do some things that are annoying us because none of us are perfect and we're going to accept each other. This is, by the way, the ultimate celebration of diversity. It's person by person, not group by mm-hmm. group. We're going to allow people to be diverse. And, and so when it comes to change, I recommend that people make that part of their culture. And in, in, some people love change and some people do not. And so if and in, in, in modern times, we need to acknowledge that the, the pace of change is accelerating. And I think the whole concept of managing change as something you do once in a while, I think that concept needs to be put to, put to bed uh, because change is so constant these days and so accelerated and disruptions are coming at us one after the other that we need to be working with people who have an appetite for change. Who, who find that to be a stimulating part of their job. And so right. I, I recommend that you make this part of your culture, which is let's have an appetite for change. And, and that means we have to embrace the fact that we have to be agile and, and respond to these changes faster than our competitors do. And if we can do that, we're going to thrive. One of the the things people don't talk about is that uh, many of the changes – that are are going to be most impactful to your to your organization cannot be anticipated. You know, people could not anticipate that there would be two hurricanes one after another, and right. those those two hurricanes are going to cause changes in businesses besides where the hurricanes were. I'm here in Nebraska. I am sure that businesses in Nebraska are going to feel reverberations because of those. And so it's really the unanticipatable events, if you read the newspaper or read any of the online publications and pay attention, you're going to find that unanticipated events mm-hmm. cause a lot of change that gives businesses heartburn. And that's why I say people have to be responsive. The, the one, changes you can anticipate, great, go ahead and anticipate them. But the, there are so many changes that cannot be anticipated. Uh, so right. have an appetite for it and keep cultivating it with your people. Mm-hmm. And, and, yeah, there are problems that change causes, and we all know that the, uh, along with the problem comes an opportunity. And 
and you 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 just got to very consciously and intentionally cultivate that mental set. Right, right. Well, I love uh, the the chapter about embracing uncertainty and being confident and and to instill hope in people. And all of that says that that you have to pay attention uh, to your own growth and and to making sure that you are continuing to develop, which is uh, what the last section of the book is about. And I'm going to have to tease our our listeners a little bit because we are at the bottom of the hour and and need to wrap up. But Larry, I so appreciate uh, you sharing all about your book today and the book we've been talking about is managing to make a difference and and if you want to make a difference and and to be a game changer you know this is really where it all starts larry is there one last thing that you would like to leave with our listeners i would i would like to emphasize the following thing quit asking people to change if mm. if your listeners would do just that and in their personal life as well as their business business life if they will do just that it will change their life mm. well i love that and uh, and again i i uh, always bring it back to being a parent as well because i think that that uh if we can take a look at those things about our children and our employees that that we perceive to be weaknesses we can find strength in those as well And so, again, we've been talking to the author of Managing to Make a Difference, How to Engage, Retain, and Develop Talent for Maximum Performance. The authors are Larry Sternberg and Kim Turnage. Larry, thank you so, so much, and I just hope you have a wonderful weekend. Same to you. Thanks for the opportunity to join you. Terrific. Thanks, Larry. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. You've been listening to The Game Changer. Ideas. Inspiration. Innovation. With Chickie Fitzgerald. <laughs>